Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Inside Facebook Mobile Podcast. I'm Pascal and with me in the studio is our first guest, Michaela. Hi everyone. And my co-host, Emil. Hey Pascal. Hey Michaela. So Michaela works on the Litho team, specifically uh, with the sections abstraction, which simplifies building complex lists on Android. So Michaela, why don't you give us an intro and how you got started here at Facebook and what you've been working on so far? So um, I uh, I joined Facebook right after doing an internship in the Menlo Park office, uh, straight out of, out of university. So uh, I would call this my first real job. Cool. Um, I started working on um, on a product team called friend sharing. Uh, I worked on backend for a little bit uh, and then I transitioned to Android working on videos for a little while and then I joined Litho. Cool. So did you do any Android before? Uh, no. Uh, I started doing Android two years uh, into my Facebook tenure as an accident. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, so as I said, I was working on backend. Uh, my team was working on a feature that they wanted to port over uh, to Android. They didn't have enough developers. And so I just wanted to give it a try. And then I loved it. So I switched to Android. That's pretty cool. Uh, some of our listeners might be interested to know more about that. Like, how, how do you go by starting a job as a backend developer? and then just switching to Android. Is that something you can just do? Um, I think uh, also uh, being my first job, I was still in an exploratory phase of what I was interested in. Um, so um, when I when I learned that I li liked doing Android a lot more, um, I talked to my manager. Um, I said I wanted to switch. I wanted to go deeper into Android and I just got uh, the freedom to do that. I found a team that needed an Android developer and I just kept going. That's pretty cool. Um, so as, as we said in the, the intro before, uh, I, I used to work on the Litho team. So I remember you joined the Litho team. What was that, like two years ago now, maybe? Um, I think a year and a half going on two. Okay, yeah. it feels, feels like longer. Yeah. How, how did you end up uh, joining that team? Um, so I wanted to try working on, um, on mobile infrastructure. Um, I started asking around what teams are, um, have an available position. Um, then I learned about Litho. Uh, at that point, it seemed like a really good opportunity to, to make an impact. Um, I talked to Lucas, who was the engineering manager, um, and I started um, on a hackathon. Um, which is this program that Facebook has uh, to give you an opportunity to um, explore working on a different team for a month. And then if you decide you like working with that team, you can just join them. Well, I'm, I'm glad you like the team. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. Um, but maybe for our listeners, the three of us probably know Litho fairly well. I'm not sure this is something we can assume for everyone. Can you give us a bit of an intro what Litho is all about? Uh, sure. Um, Litho is, uh, is an Android UI framework that we open sourced, I, if I remember correctly, in April last year during F8. It's uh, it's a UI framework that has um, it has a few um, optimizations uh, as opposed to a traditional Android. Um, so it offers um, a back background layout. It it, uh, it has a bunch of built-in optimizations like uh, view flattening, finer grained recycling um, compared to a traditional recycle view. Um, and what else, Emil? Can you remind me of something else? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, and it's using Yoga, which Emil could probably <laughs> yes, more yes. about. Yes, uh, yes. So a big inspiration for Litha was React, uh, coming from uh, React.js on the web. And uh, after that, ComponentKit on iOS uh, was also a React-inspired framework. So we didn't quite have that 
um, that style of programming on Android. That's why Litho was started. And and a big um, big feature or a big core of Litho was to be able to run more things on a background thread to split across all the cores that the modern devices uh, have today. Um, and yeah, Yoga is, is a large part of making that happen. So Yoga is this this layout engine that kind of replaces the layouts you might do with linear layouts and relative layouts and constraint layouts uh, in a separate system not tied to Android views, which allows us to do a lot of this layout calculation and those kinds of things on a background thread, as well as doing the things, like you said, Mihaela, around uh, incremental recycling and fine-grained recycling, uh, which is basically that we don't need to recycle a whole uh, whole item in the recycler view at once we can start recycling pieces as they come on screen because we know the layout ahead of time so that's i think one of the coolest optimizations in litho and i think it's kind of useful to stress how important the immutable data structures are in all of this because without them we would still be constrained to basically one thread and with immutable data structures we can just safely pass them around and we don't really have to care from which thread they are accessed or written yeah definitely um so about a year ago now, I think we open sourced Litho. I, I wasn't a huge part of that process, but I know you, Pascal, worked a lot on that and and you, Mihaela, as well. Can you talk a bit about what went into open sourcing a framework like Litho? Um, I think the most important part into getting um, getting the framework ready for open sourcing was having good documentation. So uh, we put a lot of effort into that. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, the open source community um, has a good basis to start on. We thought that um, this framework was really useful for us, and we wanted to make a contribution to the community as well because we thought a lot more people could could benefit from it. Yeah, I think in general it's such a useful exercise to prepare something for open source because you have to get all those pieces right, and you benefit from them internally just as, as much. Having all the docs in one place, having them with proper images and examples and all of that stuff is so useful for new people who onboard to the framework for the first time here but even like users who have used the framework for a while yeah i think this is definitely true for for larger companies like facebook where where we have such a big community internally that open sourcing something is really impactful for for internal users as well because it improves the documentations we i know we did a review of the whole API before open sourcing. And that, of course, made it much better and easier to use for the open source community. But I I know we benefited from it internally as well by just having easier to use APIs and better documentation there. Yeah, I think it was also a good opportunity for us to step back a little bit and uh, think about the framework through the eyes of a new user. Uh, Because sometimes if you're sitting too close to something, you're just assuming that everyone understands it. So I think that was also useful for us. Have you seen that work out? Have uh, have you merged a pull request yet? <laughs> uh, we've had actually um, quite a few interesting contributions. Uh, we do have some top framework uh, contributors. Um, uh, we try to uh, we try to show our appreciation to them. Um, the most uh, the most notable that I can think of uh, were support for uh, varg props. Um, someone also, I think, actually the same person added um, a REST type uh, prop defaults. 
All these things were things that uh, even we th um, thought about and we didn't have time to implement or it was just something that someone outside of uh, Facebook needed and we didn't think that was uh, useful. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting to see how people pick up the framework and they use it in, in unexpected ways. But I want to point out those things, uh, while we didn't think they were useful, once they were contributed, we definitely saw the usefulness yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And I, I even had a case where I was working on a feature and I would have had to refactor a certain part, but that was actually then contributed via pull request. So it really saved me significant chunks of time just by importing this. You mentioned a couple of terms. I just want uh, want our listeners to to have a chance to to know what they mean. You mentioned props a lot. What are props? Um, so um, if you're familiar with um, React terms, uh, props are the values that you pass into an immutable uh, component in order to um, to customize it. So for instance, let's say you want to display a text on screen. Uh, you don't want that text to be static. You want to um, display something dynamics and you pass it through a prop. And every time you need to update that text to show a different UI, you need to pass it a new prop because of component immutability. So it's kind of like function parameters in a way. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's talk more about open sourcing and the process that is involved there. So who decides if something gets open sourced here? And is there a ton of work involved? Um, I can speak from from the experience of open sourcing it, though. Um, it was a team's decision to to open source it when we thought the framework was mature enough um, that other people could could contribute from it. Um, so after we made this decision, we started talking to the communication team. Uh, we got approval for it, and then we just started doing all the work. Yeah, I think that this is something that's really cool here. It normally comes down to team decision. If they think this is right for the project, there's normally nothing in the way because we really see all the benefits here that it has for something to be open sourced. Yeah, and I think I think one of the only blockers, which I think is a great blocker to have, is that we make use of it internally. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. To make sure that we don't throw something out there that becomes unmaintained. Uh, we have to use something internally for it to be open sourced. And I think I think this is a great uh, checkbox to tech uh, for, for anything. Uh, we're thinking of open sourcing, but any other companies thinking about open sourcing as well. Like if you're using it, then it's probably useful for somebody else and to make sure that the whatever you're open sourcing continues to be maintained. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe this is a good point to talk about some of the tooling and the infrastructure we have because we are super familiar with this, but when people, for example, open a pull request on, on GitHub, for most of them, it's probably not quite clear what happens internally, right? Yeah, so we, we have this system where we don't actually merge pull requests directly to GitHub, but we have this other open source project called FB Ship It, which actually handles synchronizing pull requests back into our internal repo where we can run our tests and it gets uh, merged internally and then that goes through the same syncing process as an internal commit to the library where it gets synced out back to GitHub. So this means any commit we do to the Litho framework comes on to GitHub within a couple minutes and uh, when a pull request is open, the same thing happens there. It gets merged internally and then comes back out within a couple of minutes. Yeah, and just to emphasize this, so the version you see on GitHub is the same version we use internally. There is no checkbox you have to tick before you open source a certain commit. It's always synchronized. You will always find the, the most up-to-date version on GitHub. We do some releases every now and then, but the version you see on master is the same version we use internally. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is, of course, great for the open source community. They know they're using the same 
same version of Litho that we're using, but really it just makes our life so much simpler. We don't really need to think about it a lot. We just write code and it comes on to GitHub. Yeah, and there's just no chance that we would accidentally abandon it because someone no longer presses this button to synchronize the versions. So after open sourcing Litho, what, uh, what did you move on to next, Mihaela? Um, well, we weren't even uh, closely done with Litho, so we kept working on improving the framework, and we we added a new abstraction on top of Litho. Um, it's called Sections, um, and it's an API for uh, creating and managing uh, lists. It's built entirely on top of Litho um, and RecycleView, and uh, this API helps developers to build uh, very complex lists in a declarative way, similar to Litho, uh, but it gives us um, all the advantages um, of having fine-grained recycling like Litho offers, uh, but without doing any manual adapter creation and index handling and all the nasty stuff that comes with maintaining recycle reviews. So could you go more into that? I mean, I like writing my adapters. Why? Uh, You're weird. <laughs> I mean, I still use ListView from time to time. <laughs> what, uh, what, what? What is the benefit over an adapter? Like, what what kind of code becomes simpler? Um, so, just to uh, to make it clear, um, sections is using recycle view and adapter under the hood. It's just that from a developer's point of view, they don't really exist. The, the only thing that the developer needs to think about is what data they want to put in their, their list and how this data is supposed to look like. So they just declare these two things and the framework does everything for them, including very efficient UI updating. Uh, so under the hood, Sections is using um, Android's diffutils to make sure that we only um, update on screen the most minimal portion that needs to be updated. So this is very efficient. That's pretty cool. Uh, I, I think what, one thing that I always had a hard time with using adapters was when I wanted to show well different sections and I would have to combine it adapters and have like adapters of adapters and uh, handle this indexing. This is something that sections helps with. Uh, yes, this works transparently in sections. Um, in um, in sections, uh, you can think of your data in, in terms of portions uh, that are using different data sources, and you can compose them and combine them together to make it look like um, like what you want. And then uh, these uh, services using different data sources get updated only when they need to. So you don't need to do um, any manual uh, custom customizations for your data sources, nothing like that. It all works out of the box. So if you have some sort of existing recycler view, which is uses standard Android views, and you want to make use of sections, like what are your first steps? What would you recommend in that case? Um, so sections does have support uh, for working without components. So you can use sections uh, with views, with traditional Android views. Uh, it's not going to be as efficient as it would be if you were using components as well. So for instance, um, when we uh, when we converted the Messenger uh, inbox surface to use uh, sections, uh, it was implemented with views and recycle view. We had a top-to-bottom approach. Uh, so the first thing that we did was uh, take the recycle view infrastructure and the adapter and convert it to uh, sections infrastructure. Uh, and then after we had this infrastructure working on sections, we started converting the leaves, which were reviews, to components. So just to clarify some uh, some terms, Litho is the framework as a whole, but we have some subparts of that. Components being what I would call Litho 1.0 or the, the original Litho. Uh, 
which is the abstraction of reviews. But then sections is a, is still part of Litho, but it's it's a separate API concept. So Litho is split into multiple API concepts. Yeah, that that is correct. So sections is just a subset of uh, the API that Litho offers. Uh, it's for list handling. Um, it can work with the views um, only, so you don't need to use components, but it does have um, a bunch of uh, similar concepts uh, to Litho. So even if you don't use components, the way that you handle events, for instance, is very similar to how you would handle events in a component surface. So there are uh, there are similar concepts. So you mentioned Messenger uh, using this. I guess that means Sections is uh, used in production already? Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, it's used in, uh, in quite a few surfaces in, uh, in uh, Facebook products. Uh, we use it in uh, Facebook for Android. We use it in Messenger, in the inbox thread. It's shown trem- uh, tremendous performance improvements uh, in all the surfaces that we, uh, that we converted to use these sections. That's pretty cool. Uh, and is this part of that uh, Litho repo that gets automatically synced out? This is something that people can use in open source as yeah, well? Yeah, this is all open sourced and uh, it's available to the community. Um, I would actually be interested in hearing other real um, cases outside of Facebook where people had performance improvements uh, from using sections. As far as I know, uh, we do have uh, some outside usages of Litho. I'm not, uh, I'm honestly not sure if people started using sections in, uh, in production as well. Maybe Pascal knows about this? Yeah, there are a few. There's one we can't quite announce yet, but there is a pretty big outside adopter which we've been working on. I'm getting this right, but yeah, certainly. So what you, you said, there's performance improvements with adopting sections. What, what's the main reason that you get these performance improvements? So um, when you think about Facebook, we have so many developers who are mostly focused on building the product that, uh, that they work on. They don't think about uh, performance all the time. They just want their surface to work. Uh, and when you have so many developers with various degrees of experience, it's hard to have a consistent level um, of performance optimizations brought to to your uh, to your application um, for instance there were a lot of uh, cases that we caught when we converted to sections where people were just calling notify data set change all over the place uh, people don't even think about these things usually um, and in sections you don't really need to think about optimi- optimizing the way you update your UI uh, the framework just does that for you and I think that's where the performance improvements are coming from we do really really efficient UI updating so this a bit of a broad question, but I think you mentioned something really interesting that having developers who join us with all sorts of different backgrounds. I mean, you were probably one of them joining with only back- zero experience. Exactly. And then you have to work on an application where making the wrong choice could have really bad implications. So when, when designing a new API, we always have to make this right trade-off of being powerful enough that you can build all the features that we want, but also making sure that people don't misuse this in a way that, yeah, by notify data sets for all items would be possible. So how do we approach this from an API perspective, figuring out what the right balance there is? Um, I think when we design the uh, the APIs, we try to make them as restrictive as possible to only do the minimal work that it needs to do. And then again, we always have surprises. People will always find a way to misuse your API. So that's why we have, we try to have uh, updated docs in place and we iterate over our, our APIs all the time. So once we have real users um, making use of the APIs, uh, we find ways that they're misusing it, maybe, uh, then we, we always come back and rethink it if, uh, if we made a mistake. So we, we talked a bit about what we thought were really cool features in, in the original Litha and the components abstraction. 
What, what's your favorite feature in sections? What's the coolest thing people might not know about? Uh, my favorite f- feature in um, in sections, I think it's uh, it would be how easy it is to declare um, the way you want your data to to be updated. So the only thing you need to do is pass some data in and pass a comparison method, and then the framework takes care of doing super efficient updating for you. And it's so easy; uh, you only need to write like ten lines of code to do that. That's pretty cool. And is there something interesting uh, that, that's being worked on sections now? Like, what, what's next for sections? What's what's coming up? So we, we do have some plans to improve some of the current APIs. Um, for instance, um, uh, the props that I mentioned earlier and the data updating is sections. The way it works is that we won't perform UI updates unless uh, your data changed and unless the comparison methods that you pass in are specifying that uh, we need to update a piece of UI. Uh, but then this is a little bit counterintuitive because uh, people also expect their UI to update when these props changes, and we don't do that at the moment. So there are a few things that need to be cleared up in the API. And again, these are things that came up from people who are using these uh, in in their product. And then there are a lot of uh, exciting things that are coming to Litho as well. Uh, so as you mentioned, Emil, we, um, we can calculate layout on a background thread. At the moment, Litho has a default background thread uh, for layout calculations, uh, but we're also uh, trying to experiment with multiple background threads. Uh, so the next thing for Litho would be to just put as uh, as much as possible to a background thread to make uh, to make applications even more uh, more performant and scrolling more seamless. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And people can just get it by pulling from Master waiting for our next release. So they will all benefit from this. Now that we've talked about Litho and sections, maybe let's talk a bit about Android development in general. So what do you think could use the most improvement there from just a developer's perspective? So um, we've put so much work in in Litho to, to bring these performance um, optimizations that um, I can't uh, I can't help but think that people are probably having similar uh, similar struggles on iOS, for example. And I think there is a world where uh, we don't need to think about mobile development in terms of separate platforms. Um, Maybe we can have a cross-platform experience uh, that would just allow users to write code for uh, for a generic platform that just gets ported to Android, to iOS, to everything, and it just works really performant out of the box. Yeah, I mean... Yoga is written in C++. Should we just invite everybody to write C++? I think that's the future, Bill. Oh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I think it's Dart. <laughs> um, but actually, we do have something which is quite similar on iOS, uh, only component kit. And they do have a sections API there as well. So what is the relationship between the Android side and the iOS side for those APIs? So um, Litho actually took a lot of inspiration from component kit. A lot of the ideas were taken from there. Uh, for sections, uh, we're, uh, we're working working on uh, bridging the difference between the platforms. So we are um, aiming towards a future where um, where both um, APIs on iOS and, and on Android will uh, will have the same features and will give the same results. Uh, so that's, that's the next step for us. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, like a reason we want to do this is to have developers at Facebook, like product engineers, be able to jump between platforms more easily, come to a new platform and kind of feel at home already. I mean... You jump between backend and Android, and those kinds of things to happen more. You should be able to write a feature on iOS and then then go on Android and uh, and develop the same feature. Even though you might not be reusing the same code, you can at least reuse that knowledge you have of, of the different abstractions. 
Yeah, we have a lot of hackathons here, and especially there, it becomes obvious if an API is easily learnable enough that you can put something together over the course of a day. And just to be sure, uh, ComponentKit is obviously also open source, so you can get this. Yeah, ComponentKit is open source, and it actually, while we do try to um, align the APIs, they already share uh, quite a bit of code together through through Yoga. Uh, so ComponentKit also uses Yoga to decide on uh, where to put items on screen given a set of rules. And this set of rules is the same across iOS and Android. And this has helped us a lot with this, like allowing developers to jump between platforms and things like that, where they they know how to lay out a thing on iOS and Android or in React Native, which, which also relies on yoga. So I think there's a lot of power in sharing a lot of these concepts and potentially in the case of yoga, then we're sharing the code as well. What are you guys most excited about? What's next for Android? Oh, well, well, now I'm mostly focused on tooling. So that, that's what excites me right now. I think there's a lot, lot of opportunity in the tooling space to make development just a lot easier and get more insight into what's going on in our apps. Um, like when I developed my first app, it was maybe, maybe 2,000 lines of code. It could have probably been written in 500, but I wasn't a great developer. Uh, but as these apps just grow in size, it becomes so hard to keep everything in your head. So having the tooling to help you understand what's going on and help you iterate more quickly and help you develop that new feature, uh, that's what I'm most excited about. And trying to figure out these places where we can build tooling to help like propel you forward and help you develop uh, accelerate future development. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think uh, I've got pretty similar feelings about this. I'm also mostly excited about the tooling space, but especially now coming from Google and uh, the Kotlin development. Honestly, I'm not even that excited about Kotlin itself, but more about the sentiment behind it, the recognition that things like the language itself kind of matters and that the productivity is tightly coupled to the kind of language you're developing in. We were stuck on essentially Java 6 for such a long time. I still don't really have access to, to Lambdas and all the platforms, for example, from, from Java 8. And um, I think at the time of this recording, just yesterday, Java 10 was released. And I'm not even sure if we will ever see this on Android ever. Yeah, I mean, if Pascal could choose, he would probably choose to write Android and Haskell. <laughs> That's a possibility for sure, yeah. What do you think about languages? What, what's your go-to language? Is it PHP? Oh, God, no. Um, so um, the good thing is that my only experience with PHP was at Facebook, and it was um, it was wrapped in XHP, so it wasn't as terrible as it can be. I guess my go-to language would be Java because I'm the most comfortable in this, but for me, it's just a tool to get something done. Of course, there are good languages and bad languages, but I care more about what I'm working on and what I'm trying to achieve. And of course, there will always be a good language, a better language to do a certain thing in. So for instance, for scripting, you wouldn't do Java, you would probably do Python. Or... Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. I, I fully agree. Like the language I write in doesn't really matter that much as long as it helps me accomplish the task that I'm trying to to accomplish, really. Well, if you just look at it from your own perspective, I think that's absolutely fair. But as soon as you get to a larger team or even organization, I think the language choices and how you use it matter a lot more because Java is not a particularly strongly typed language and there are other languages which allow you to express things in a lot safer way. I mean, one of the reasons why we use annotation processes for 
litho, for example, and including sections, is that we can make all sorts of validations and assertions on the on the declarative code that people write, limiting what they can do and limiting the kind of mistakes that are easy to make otherwise with, with Java. Yeah, you mentioned annotation processing. So this is something we haven't gone into, but litho's very heavily tied to annotation processing. So like we do it for some validation stuff, but we also write a lot of boilerplate code for you. So like what kind of boilerplate code is it that the annotation processor writes? Like what, what code is actually executed? The only thing that the user needs to, to write when writing litho is a spec of what their component will look like. And then the framework generates the code for what the component implementation actually is, um, how the layout should be calculated and measured and all the optimizations around that. So doing the layout on a background thread, flattening the view, your key, the recycling mechanisms, everything is um, gets generated and plugged into the core framework. I think everything is just generated at this point. And one large part of this is also builders, which just works around a Java limitation, which is incredibly unexpressive when you have large constructors or just want to pass a large number of properties to a given object. Yeah, it, it emulates my favorite Objective-C feature, <laughs> uh, name parameters, uh, which is definitely definitely helpful when you have a lot of uh, props as we call them and also builders also allow for like optional or required props so that that that's really cool instead of having a bunch of overloaded constructors yeah exactly so one thing we do for example is if you declare a prop to be of a certain rest type uh, we also allow you to pass in android resources for example for color it could be one that you express through it what is it even called values that xml yeah this way define your colors right or it could be just a color hexadecimal code on RGB value so we can generate all sorts of convenience helpers for you. Yeah, and instead of having something that's maybe be a bit more inefficient using a wrapping object or dynamic using some other mechanism, we can uh, write these type safe builders instead. So I think that's definitely one of the coolest features. Right. I, I would say there's a disadvantage to this because um, for every uh, spec class that you have, we do generate another class um, and this just adds up to, to your APK size but we're making steps towards improving uh, improving that yeah there's some ongoing work because this matters a lot for a company of our size where we just have very large number of aspects in our code base we're working with the redex team for example which is also an open source project on some optimizations which could lead to spec classes basically folding just into the component class that we generate in, in the best possible case i think it's great the kind of collaborations we have with other open source projects like we mentioned like react.js and component kit and being heavily influenced by them we we uh, work closely with the redux team all of the image loading in uh, in litho is based off of fresco you can use some other mechanism but but that's the, what's built in and all of these open source libraries at facebook kind of connect to each other and and help each other out i mean we also mentioned fb ship it which syncs our code which is another open source project right. so it's really cool infer. right we're using infer which is a uh, open source static analysis tool what what do we use that for um we use it for thread safety warnings for instance because um everything um, all the objects that you pass into the little framework need to be immutable so you, if infer catches you uh with a wrong type of object it's gonna scream at you a little bit uh, i still think that's super cool i think 
Uh, who was it that uh, wrote a blog post about this recently? Somebody at Facebook wrote a blog post about this recently. We can add it to the show notes. Uh, yeah, we'll add it to the show notes. Uh, it's a blog post about how we used Infer to track uh, thread safety through Litho to ensure that we could actually move more user space code to a background thread and uh, be 100% certain that this won't cause any issues. So I think this is this is super cool because without Infra's tooling, I'm pretty sure this would be near impossible at, at the size of Facebook. Right, and we haven't even mentioned the nullity checks that it allows you to do. One of the coolest things there is that it has this interactive view. So it can tell you, hey, this this object you're trying to dereference here might be null in this case. And then like, why? And you can just use the tool to show you which kind of code paths it followed. Like, okay, I'm going to go this if branch here and then I pass it to this method. And then because of those circumstances, the object here might actually be null. And then, yeah, you can still decide, yeah, this is actually fine because I really know what I'm doing here. Probably you don't. Uh, and ignore it. Or you can fix it and add an additional check there. Yeah, Infer is uh, by far one of the coolest uh, open source projects I've seen come out of Facebook. Cool. So I think this about wraps it up. Mihaela, thank you so much for joining us on our first episode here. Thank you for having me. So if you have any feedback for us on this episode or suggestions for what you want to see us cover on next episode, maybe what uh, guests you would like to see on coming episodes or here or here, you can email us at mobilepodcasts at fb.com and uh, we'll take that feedback into account and help improve future episodes. Absolutely. And if you're interested in working with Michaela or us, then please get in touch or just check out facebook.com slash careers to learn more. Other than that, ratings and reviews are much appreciated. You can subscribe to us on Google Play, iTunes, or all the other podcasting platforms. And we will hear you next time. Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Inside Facebook. Is that what you're calling it? Yeah.